Hello, and welcome back for another Toasted Tale with me, Jim. I'm really happy you decided to join me today around the fireside. If, like me, you enjoy hearing stories, then you've come to the right place. I think there are interesting stories in every subject. They're just waiting to be found and shared. In this podcast, we're going to go back and take a random subject and use it as a seed to do some research, and in that time I'll do my best to find a story within that hopefully you and I can find enjoyable. So, back by popular demand, let's bring in the Wheel of Fortune style spinner, give it a turn, and find out what today's subject will be. Okay, so today it's landed on Jean-Baptiste de Brancas. Now, just for clarity, I am no expert on Jean-Baptiste de Brancas. I am not an expert on the man himself, or the history of the time period he lived within. I'm just a guy who really enjoys finding interesting stories, and learning a thing or two along the way. So as not to keep you waiting around, I have completed my research, and I'm really excited to share with you what I found. Let's get right to it. Firstly, I think it's worth mentioning that there isn't much written on Jean-Baptiste de Brancas. On the article I was able to find, there was four lines regarding him. It goes like this. Jean-Baptiste de Brancas, 1693-1770, was a French clergyman. He was Bishop of La Rochelle, from the dates 1725 to 1729, then became Archbishop of Aix-de-Provence from 1729 until his death in 1770. That won't make much of a podcast, I don't think. We want a bit more from that, so having a bit of a deep dive, I was able to find out that the de Brancas family were not some nobody stick-in-the-mud family from the backwaters in France, but they were a lesser noble house. Jean-Baptiste's father, Henry II de Brancas, was Count of Forcalier and married to Dolothée de Chelous, and they had four children. Louis Le Marchal, Henry Ignace, Jean-Baptiste, and Bofil Heyansith, all of them of the de Brancas family. Now, even noble families are faced with problems. Yeah, they may be different problems to the ones that the peasants working the fields may be facing, but they do exist. And one important problem that plagued noble houses was succession. This sort of thing happens even today with a big family-owned business. When the owner, the person at the top, passes away or steps down, who does the business go to? Do you split it up? Do you assign the ownership to one person? Well, in history, the big companies and money-makers of the day were these impressive houses who looked after the land and 
ran the fields and the businesses and the towns and cities and castles in a kingdom. And so it could be problematic if you had more than one person who had a claim to all of this land. And this would happen if you were the son usually, but if there was no son's daughter as well, of a lord of a certain area who had access to all of this land, then you would inherit a claim to that land as well. And if you weren't able to, before your death, assign roles to your children so that there wasn't a crisis of succession when you passed away, wars could very easily break out. You'd have different siblings gathering armies and smashing into each other in order to rightfully claim what they felt was theirs. Henry II de Brancas therefore had a tricky situation. Four siblings, three male, one female. Now, traditionally the eldest would be the inheritor, but Louis le Marchal would have to watch over his back because he did have Henry Ignace and Jean Baptiste behind him. It is fair to assume that those two would not be pleased if their eldest brother got all of the glory when their father passed away. So it's interesting therefore that they turned to a proven and trusted workaround for this. Enter the church. Henry and Jean-Baptiste became bishops. They entered into the clergy and therefore denounced their noble inheritance in favour to a lifetime support of God. And this was quite a common thing for noble families to go into, have the main inheritor and then move the others aside to other positions of power so they didn't feel shortchanged. And being in the church was a pretty cushy deal. You are revered by the people you preach to. You get control over maybe a beautiful church or even a cathedral. You have got real power as the voice of the Lord and the ability to read the Bible and teach its lessons to the people of your flock. Henry Ignace and Jean-Baptiste therefore entered this path, the clerical pursuit. And eventually, Henry became the Bishop of Lisieux, and Jean-Baptiste became the Bishop of first La Rochelle, and then in 1725, the Archbishop of Aix-en-Provence. This meant that the eldest, Louis La Marchal, could easily become the sole inheritor, the two younger brothers could become bishops, and the youngest sister would probably be married off or stay in the family home. For an 18th century succession, that's pretty clean. And what was waiting for you if you entered and rose through the ranks of the church? Well, as a bishop, you become an ordained member of a group of people which hold a great deal of power and wealth. 
The Catholic Church in the 18th century was a huge organization, which held massive amounts of power and influence. Those who held prominence in these ranks were also entrusted with the word of God and also had the authority to use this influence in ways they wish. They would govern their own diocese and be the religious authority in that area. Now, the promotion from bishop is archbishop, which is a higher rank in the church. They would govern something called a archdiocese, which would almost be like a modern-day area manager's patch, where they would oversee the running of multiple dioceses. And it would be their job to supervise all of the bishops in a certain province. And we've got to remember that this was at a time where the Catholic Church was an authority on all things religion. Whilst it might be true that the kings and queens of the time were anointed by God to rule the land in his stead, the church were the voice. And to many of the peoples living in these lands, the person who they listened to every Sunday, speaking the word of the Bible, was the one they heeded. Therefore, to me, it is quite understandable how, during this time, there was often fractured relationships between the church and rulers, and also split loyalties between the general population the lords, ladies, and noble families over who they paid their taxes to, provided troops to, whether it was the ruling royal family or the church. And when the church and royal families aligned, you could expect the powers in the area to work together in cooperation, either for the prosperity of the realm for the glory of God, or just to hunt out those damned heretics. And when the church and royal families disagreed, you could expect infighting, death, and even in the extreme cases, kings like Henry VIII of England removing himself from the Catholic faith altogether and creating his own, the Church of England, where he himself was the ruling authority. This, as you can imagine, created its own problems, creating wars between the new Christianity in England versus the more continental Catholicism, with bishops and archbishops playing major roles in rallying support for their side to fight for their god. And I wonder what the important Jean-Baptiste de Brancas would have seen during his time as the Archbishop of Aix-en-Provence. Well, he was in charge for a large proportion of the 18th century, and during this time the region went through various highs and lows. At the beginning of the century, which was when Jean-Baptiste took charge, Provence was suffering. 
It was near the end of the reign of King Louis XIV, and the economy of the region was in a malaise. To make things worse, between 1720 and 1722, a plague had struck the region. Beginning in Marseille, the biggest city in Provence, killing some 40,000 people. This kind of event has a massive impact, not only in the short term, killing a lot of people, but also has that impact along the road as well. A lot of these people that would have died would have been contributors to the economy, and 40,000 at that time would have taken a great chunk of the workforce and the productive people. Things like that take a while to recover from. Moving onwards though, during the century and heading towards near the end, things started picking up. Artisanal industries began to flourish. For example, beautiful perfumes were being made in the city of Grasse. Delicious olive oil in Aix and Ampelia. Textiles in Orange, Avignon and Tarascon. Beautiful pottery in Marseille, Apt, Arbonne and Mostier-Sainte-Marie. Due to its position on the southern coastline of France, immigrants from Italy were drawn to the wealth and industry emerging from Provence. By the end of the 18th century, Marseille had a population of 120,000 people, making it the third largest city in France. This is all to say that the religious head of the region, Jean-Baptiste de Brancas, would have seen a region ravaged by plague and then slowly built up throughout his life until his death in 1770, where, on his deathbed, after a lifetime of service to the Catholic Church, and the people of Aix-en-Provence would have seen his area and its people flourishing. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in to today's Toasted Tale podcast. I never, under normal circumstances, would have had the opportunity to research into Jean-Baptiste de Brancas. And when it span onto this gentleman, I really wasn't sure where the story would go. There is very little written about him, and so I really had to dive deep into the very small amount of leads I could find. I'm really happy with what we found though, and I feel like I have a better understanding of the dynamics of those times between the ruling classes and religion, what was happening in Provence during these years, and how the choices and decisions made by those of the ruling classes in those times affected everyone. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to find yourself around this fireside again next week, then we release new episodes every Tuesday. And you can follow me and my journey of making these episodes on Twitter and Facebook. My handle for both is at Podcast Tale, and it's there where I release new episodes and also any interesting things I find along the way. 
Once again, that's at Podcast Tale for more. If you want to support the show further, you can also share, comment, and like this episode. Any feedback you have is greatly appreciated. I really appreciate you all being here with me learning about these new subjects. I love learning new things, but doing it alongside you really is great. I hope you all have a lovely rest of day and find success in everything you try. I will speak to you all again soon for another Toasted Tale by the Fireside.